every day there are opportunities for all of us, regardless of how confident or not confident we are, to showcase our power, our confidence, whether it's in the workplace or at the grocery store. Welcome to another episode of My Vagina Hurts, a podcast putting a new spin on the phrase, my head hurts. Because let's be honest, sometimes what life throws at you when you are a professional, mother, partner, and friend doesn't just make your head hurt. Are we professional podcast producers? Not yet. But do we have a reputation for oversharing in public? Absolutely. So join us, your hosts, Kelly Cummins, Devin McNally, and me, Courtney Larvadane, as each week we release a new episode with topics like what babies did to our sex life, how women's organizations are mostly cults, and how bad sex can lead to death. You know, all the topics your grandmother told you never to bring up at the dinner table. Welcome back, guys, to the shit show. <laughs> Courtney. I'm Kelly. And I'm Devin. So I wanted to ask you guys a question and more than a question, I want to kind of pose a soliloquy. So do you find yourself saying I'm sorry all the time, whether it's you forgot to text your friend back? I'm sorry. You accidentally bump into somebody at the grocery store. I'm so sorry. You sneeze in the middle of the meeting. That's right. I'm sorry. It's a seemingly endless cycle. Over apologizing can undermine your authority and negatively impact your career. It's not just a hypothesis. Studies show that women do, in fact, apologize before men. All of this was an excerpt from a Forbes article that really laid it out perfectly. So today we're discussing the internal and external causes of decreased confidence in women and what are we going to do about it? The first thing, before we get into this, I kind of wanted to get you guys' thoughts because as kind of the resident bad moms, one of our mantras, even before we started this podcast, was we're not going to apologize. Sorry, not sorry. Like, that's our MO, right? So for the two of you, what triggered you to kind of say, I'm not going to apologize anymore. I'm, I'm not going to be that person who's always like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Because we all kind of have that. And I think we have it in different ways. And we came to the realization in different ways. But I'd love for you to share kind of what was it for you? Or maybe what were some of the things for you that made you realize, you know what, I I don't like this. I don't like this thing that we do as women. And I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I think as I got um, like started in my career in like professional environments, it was just more apparent the rules for being a woman in that environment versus being a man. And it started to just be visible to me versus innately, like just part of my behavior. And I actually had more of an issue with the women that were sort of forcing that or actually judging way harder or way harsher based on tone or attitude or, or things like that. And I feel like I, especially as I got into motherhood, so pregnancy and things like that, I, I was just sort of sick of having to play a different, by a different set of rules, but I will say I probably compartmentalize it and it's way easier for me to say like, sorry, not sorry, when it comes to judging me as a mother or judging me as a working mother, like within that label versus 
other scenarios, whether it be in the grocery store or, you know, in a work environment, I I'm way better now than I was, but it is practice, like yeah. consistent practice. Yeah. And that's definitely the that practice part. Compartmentalize, right. Mm-hmm. Like you might still do it in the grocery store, but you're so conscious about it at work. Yeah. So I, yeah. I like that, that. Yeah. I think when I became a mom is when I, everything went out the window. I stopped apologizing, especially for the mom stuff. And then, but even to this day though, I still have to catch myself apologizing if I like accidentally bump into somebody or walk in front of somebody like doing something. And I catch myself like, why do I do that? Such a reflex. And writing apologies and emails, like instead of saying, I'm sorry that this is delayed by a few hours or whatever, Mm -hmm. say like, it's changing that to be, thank you for your patience. Um, that came, that's a lot of the practice part, like just yeah. catching myself in that, in that, in the work environment. And we're going to talk about all that today. So we're going to talk about three types of internal and external causes of decreased confidence in women, because ultimately the apologizing is just a symptom of decreased self-confidence. So we're going to talk about those causes of decreased self-confidence, and then we're going to talk about what to do about it and what we have learned that we can implement to combat it. So the three cases we're covering today are going to be one, over-apologizing, which we kind of got into the I'm sorry all the time. Number two is motherhood and how motherhood actually causes decreased self-confidence. And then finally, woman interrupted, which is the external factors that cause us to have decreased confidence, whether that's people interrupting us or making us feel less than. So we're going to talk about all of this. And ultimately, our goal for this particular episode is to give tips and helpful hints that we have implemented to combat some of this and hopefully raise your level of confidence, or at least give you a few tools in your toolbox to feel a little bit more empowered. All right. So first up, over-apologizing. And this is where we started. This is the I'm sorry. I'm sorry has is such a, and honestly, it goes beyond just women, but to all, Mm -hmm. I think, people, especially of younger generations, that saying I'm sorry is such a reflex. Like you said, Devin, it's just like, it comes out like yeah. you bump into somebody, you're like, I'm sorry. Do you do this? And I it's very it's- Midwest and Southern yeah. pushed more than it is probably on the coast for sure. Like I don't, I don't get the same interactions when I'm in New York for work compared to in the grocery store in Michigan. So yeah. There's definite like regional nuances to that. We've even seen the movies where, you know, there will be an underling at work saying, I'm sorry. And then the boss says like, stop saying that. And they go, I'm sorry. And it's like, I'm sorry for saying, I'm sorry. Um, But yes, I do think it is definitely regional. We do see it more in the Midwest and in the South. And what's funny is, it does have to do with level of what you consider offensive. So we're going to have lots of this in the show notes as far as where we get all of this, but a Forbes article really outlined all of the over-apologizing is what they call it. 
So women tend to apologize more often than men because women have a lower threshold for what they consider offensive. So it's not necessarily that we're apologizing because we feel like we're in the wrong, but it's because we recognize something that we believe in general is an apologizable offense. So when you think about it that way, yes, it makes it a little less bad, but obviously it's something we still need to work on. That's super interesting because context just for how you think about it. Yeah, that's super interesting because like I want there to be the a lane to apologize, right? I do believe in the value of saying I'm sorry when you made a mistake and acknowledging that mistake. And I think what's happened is now we're trying to figure out where the lines are, or the swim lanes are, and it is it can be very subjective in a lot of ways. And I think women buffer for others within the space. So they'll even, if something happens and let's say your female coworker is getting now like berated because they did, they said something that made a man pissed, right? Another female coworker might come in and go, you know what, we're sorry that that happened and, you know, work around it for them setting this example. But it, it, there's just so much gray in that. And I don't want to take away the power of an apology, you know, in the right moment with the right context, but how do we decide when enough is enough? This reminds me of the conversation we had a few episodes ago about men's feelings being hurt. And is it, it, is some of this stem from there's that like uncomfortability when something happens, even if it is just walking in front of a guy, like cutting them off cutting them off. I say that with quotes, but like, if you're all just walking in the same direction and you happen to get in front of a guy and you're getting into an elevator, like, why is it the, why is that considered an offense where we need to apologize for offending him in getting in his way? It just like, it, when I, you try and rationalize it, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. The, the default is to to feel that like, oh, I'm such an inconvenience. Like, And what's I- funny is as a woman, so this literally happened to me today. I was walking up to a doorway and two men were also walking from like a different direction to the same doorway. And my instinct was to like, stop and let them. And then I was like, wait a minute, but as a woman, they would want me to go first. So then like, we're all coming up to the door at the same time. And I'm like, excuse me. Yeah, maybe it's to like diffuse awkwardness, like like to to make it so that the moment is not as awkward and and weird yet. Why Why do, at least in my situation, feel the yeah, need but, to be the one to do that. It's just, but yeah. what if it was so, because part of me is like, there is a level of like, I'm good with politeness and manners. The problem is we're not, we don't hold men to the same standards and they assume they don't have to. So like, if a man cuts me off and says, excuse me, like, I'm not thinking he's apo- over apologizing. Right. And if I do that, I'm not necessarily in that moment thinking I'm an inconvenience, it's that most men expect that movement or that acknowledgement. And I would, I personally would rather have it just be too much of like, oh, excuse me on both sides versus like, I think my rage comes from the expectation from a full gender that all women should be this way. 
and they don't have to if they don't want to. Yeah, there's, there's like a subtle there. like submissiveness, ex- yeah. expectation of submissiveness there yes. that we're supposed to be lower and submit. This quote comes from from the Forbes article is that women have this different threshold than men have for what they consider an apologetic offense. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I think a lot of this has has stemmed from. And then we also have, obviously, we've we've talked in so many episodes about things that relate back to our childhood. And this is a, just another example that, of course, over-apologizing can also stem from so many of our, you know, 80s and early 90s childhood upbringings where we might be made to feel wrong or fearful of punishment saying I'm sorry was such a huge thing in the 80s and 90s it was like anything happened tell your sister you're sorry tell your brother you're sorry tell your friend you're sorry and what I will say that I'm thankful for is nowadays we are raising our kids kids a little more thoughtfully and not immediately just going to tell them you're sorry but it's like oh acknowledge your behavior Mm-hmm. Should you have snatched that from your friend or your sibling or your cousin? Maybe you want to share with them next time, or maybe you want to ask them if they want to share with you instead of immediately just going to like, tell them you're sorry, mm-hmm. because I do think it becomes a, a reflex. Right. It yeah. takes away the power of that apology in general, because they'll just do it and not mean it or understand what's being like asked of them. And then it just becomes a thing. I feel like more of the issue is the written softness that comes in versus the verbal over apologizing. Like I see more definitely with female colleagues that are younger, the softening or over apologizing in an email and a note. Um, I have done that via text message to friends and it takes that, you know, it takes so much self-awareness and reaction in the moment. Like you have to stop yourself in the moment and rewrite or rethink how to say something. And that's the part that I find difficult. Yes, because my my next bullet for over-apologizing is the fact that it causes a perceived weakness at in the workplace and in personal relationships. So to your point, Devin, it's like, if I am overly apologizing or seeming like I'm always the one at fault in the workplace or in, you know, some of my professional relationships that starts to put women in that place of less than. Yeah. I will say some of the ways that I've been um, trying to change that is I have a, I have a lot of female coworkers and I have worked with a lot of females uh, over the last few years and it is truly calling it out after, like if they send an email and I'm on it and it's completely sort of framed in that, um, so sorry, this is late, or I'm sorry, can I have more time or sorry for the inconvenience? I immediately call it out. And I'm like, you don't have to say that, like cut that word out next time. Like take it's okay type of thing to reassure other women that you can be respectful and clear without being like basically diminishing what you're bringing to the table because nobody's like a 18 year old intern. We're all adults, right? Like this, 
this is not a power. We shouldn't be perpetuating that power dynamic just based on language in an email. No. And what, what do you guys think as far as where we pick this stuff up? Because it's like, we all have to learn this somewhere, right? We all learned how to navigate. I was told by older women in work Mm. to soften language via an email. Like I was absolutely told, well, you need to play the game. So you need to make him feel like this is that this is okay. Or you need to lean in and just, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. Your tone is too direct. Your emails are too straightforward. You need to add a smiley face. I was told those things by women who work. And And it is when you first started in your career and were told these things, how did that initially make you feel? angry. Yeah. <laughs> like rage filled. I was like, I don't understand why. Like, cause if I receive that email, I'm not sad. I'm not offended. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm thinking like who, like, are they really that sensitive? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's, I'm going, this seems ridiculous. You're telling me I'm never going to go anywhere if I don't make my email sound so fluffy and add a smiley face at an end, end of it. Like that's absolutely insane to me. Logically it still is insane, but I did it. I don't think it worked. Yeah. I remember the first time that I got called out for that. I was on the, just started working. So it was my first job within the first few months. And I was on the phone with a vendor, like a print vendor. And they were not, they were dancing around the topic and not answering my questions. And I was being firm. I wasn't being mean or in any way. I was just being firm. And after I hung up the phone, one of my coworkers came from the other room. She had like been listening and was like, we really need to be careful how we talk to vendors. We don't want to burn relationships. And, you know, I, at first I got defensive and was like, but he's fucking shit up. Like in, you know, more professional terms. Mm-hmm. And, um, since she talked me down, I think after my, I was like immediate defensive, but, but then I felt like, oh my God, I'm such, I was the opposite of you, Devin. I went from defensive a little bit upset about like from the angry side. And then I went to like, oh my God, everyone thinks this about me. Like I mm-hmm. went to that side of it. And I think that that stuck with me. Obviously I remember it like it was yesterday, like that stuck with me. And so it's taken me you know, now 17 some years in to be like making those changes. Yeah. And I think we, I would assume that most women have experienced both sides of that, right? The feeling of, oh my gosh, I need to change and soften and are you kidding? I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And it's, it's difficult because you don't necessarily, if you don't have the outside um, forces to kind of bounce this off of, you don't know which, which of your minds is the best one to go with. You don't know. And you just have to kind of try it out and guess. So what we're hoping to do today is to provide some ideas for all of us out here who are working with all of these different cases of decreased confidence and ways that we can combat it and work on it and exercise our confidence in these spaces. So as far as, you know, over-apologizing is concerned, the first thing we can do is practice self-awareness. That is, notice when we are saying literally the words, I'm sorry, and if it is warranted in that space, And then secondly, change your vocabulary. So I would love to hear from both of you. What are some of the actual phrases that you have reconstituted instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. 
I'm sorry, I didn't get this to you on time. I'm, you know, all of these little things that you throw I'm sorry into, what are the things that you've said instead? Yeah, I I said this in the beginning, um, instead of like, I'm sorry I'm late or I'm sorry this is late, it's thank you for your patience. Um, So that's one example. Um, Yeah, it's definitely one that I've used a lot instead of, apologies for being late or apologize, you know, for this is going to be, or this is going to be delayed. Um, I've also said things like, here's a different perspective for us to consider um, instead of things like, well, I really think that, or I want to add, or can I add, um, or have you considered more of the, I I'm trying to take out the other individual and put just the work in the conversation. So it's just the project or just the content. And it's not about you feeling okay. It's about the work being, you know, good or what, whatever. Conversely to that though, I think if you can call out the emotional response that you know that they're go may feel because of whatever inconvenience you're providing or creating. Oh my God. Courtney's holding up a sign that obviously Russell wrote that says, Men don't apologize because we're never wrong. Oh God. That's perfect. I actually think honestly, this the, that's really timely based on everything that I've read from the research I did, is that that's where this all comes from. Yeah. Is that the the whole point of this apology thing is that men have a such higher personal threshold for what they consider a wrongdoing. And I do think, especially in a professional environment, that is something that has to be reminded a lot about younger employees in general, or especially female younger employees about, you know, knowing what you bring to the table and understanding that it's better to take accountability than to apologize and practice that. So I don't think it's bad, especially in a work environment to say, I take full responsibility for that error. This is how we're going to resolve it or uh, appreciate that feedback. I will work to rectify that in the future. And I will say it is way harder to get men that either report into me or are um, at lower or earlier spots in their career to take that advice and do that. Like I, it is way harder for them to even get to that part in a work environment. I agree. And so I'll, I'll list the three things that we can do to kind of fix this behavior. And that is one, practice self-awareness. So of course, listen to when it's happening, realize it and figure out what the changes can be. The second is change your vocabulary. So a lot of the tips we've given, which are say something different in the space, which is this is a, this is delayed, blah, 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 whatever. And then the third, which Devin just talked to is Be confident and intentional. Oftentimes, at least in my opinion, many of the anecdotal I'm sorry's have to do with just being confident. In many times you can say nothing at all. Mm -hmm. So say, say you're a couple minutes late to walking in a meeting, right? Don't say anything. Just join them. Like, what would it look like if you just walked into the meeting room and sat down? or hopped on the Zoom and didn't say anything. No one would think anything of it. But then you, oftentimes, we as women make a bigger 
issue out of it by walking and going, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm here. Yeah. And then it's like everyone's looking at you and making a decision based on your behavior. Or if you come in the Zoom and go, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late. Right. But if you just join and do nothing, no one notices. I do think uh, another piece of advice is if you are given the feedback that, you know, Kelly or myself, and I'm sure Courtney has been given over our lifetime so far of you need to soften or you should be more aware of how you're handling X, Y, and Z. Also ask the the question of what was the intent or what are they trying to solve for? Because a lot of times it's their own insecurities because there is there is value in knowing when a softer tone or tact is needed and none of that has to do with apologizing or or making yourself less it's truly about tact and not tone so if people are giving you advice about tone specifically you can ask them did you mean there is there a more tactful way that you would have approached that and if they go why well, would have apologized and you that's not tact that's completely policing language. So I think that's something to keep in mind, write it on post-it, stick it on a computer, you know? Yeah. I like that a lot. And I think you can, another easy place to start, like two easy places to start. If you are somebody who tends to like be the over-apologizer when you're going around the world, grocery store or whatever, just like, even though it's going to feel super uncomfortable inside, like try to not say anything, just get like, try it. And that's a really low risk situation to give that a go and pra- and build up that internal muscle. Um, and then the yeah. other one is if you're writing an email, even if it's a positive email, um, write it out how you normally would, and then go back and see how you can adjust every sentence in there and, or remove most of what you wrote, because in most cases, you'll do it. I was going to say now there's apps. I think Grammarly, I was watching an ad for that does it very well for you now. Yes, there are, you can there are apps that make that you sound like less like. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, which is, I mean, very helpful, but also like if you're trying to refine your own approach, like yeah. do it on your own so you can build that muscle for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, it's about building the muscle. And I do agree with you, Kelly, that the, the low stakes way to practice is to go out in the world, go to the mall, go to the grocery store and say, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And frankly, I would say, even if you want to practice it, go to the grocery store and mall and don't even say, excuse me, like really practice, Mm -hmm. you know, like don't say, Oh, okay. Like just, yeah. Don't say, excuse me. If someone else is hits you, like (laughs) that's, that's the, the catch, like if right? you're both going into the place at the yeah. same time, it's like there's a lot of instances, and we all know as women, we all know what those instances are. Yep. I yeah, so you know, that's a try. All right, so let's go to the next topic, which is motherhood. And this is one that is very close to my heart because I was born with like the self-confidence of like a thousand (laughs) sultans in Arabia and having children just crushed it. It crushed this self-confidence that I was literally born with. And I hated it because I knew it. I knew it, you know, it's like I knew it and I felt it internally. 
And then I had children and I just felt crushed. So I wanted to do a little research on this. And I found that self-esteem actually, which, you know, anyone who's had children could probably say, yeah, duh, like this makes sense. But self-esteem chemically does decrease during pregnancy. And then you have a little bump during kind of that six months postpartum phase. But then it continues to decrease until your child is three years old. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That makes so much sense. It does. It does. Yes. So, you know, we think about that and we just think about how, you know, at least for me personally, and, and you guys can definitely also chime in and share your, your own journeys. But I just remember having my, my young children and thinking, why am I questioning everything? Not just about my kids, but like, why am I questioning? Like, should I, should I put this in an email? Can I, should I apologize to the person in the grocery store? Like we were just talking about, like all of this stuff started coming up and I had never felt that before because I had always been an extremely self-confident person and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And that just like blew my mind. I think it's hormones that contribute to a lot of that. I think even if you have a flux in hormones, like I feel like right now my hormones are not settled. And so I'm actively working to fix that. So my self-esteem is down and I catch myself in those mental circles of like trying to navigate the justifications of why I do something or should I do something or am I overthinking it or am I underthinking it? So I think that women in general have different, their hormones when they're pregnant and around pregnancy is just all over the place. So um, it makes sense. It takes, th- I've said it takes th- you know three years for you to get your brain back after you have a kid. Like this is part of it. Part of your self-esteem is in there too. Yeah. I was reading, um, I was reading an article the other day and it said something along the lines of if you are, or were like that type A ADD overachiever personality, right? If that was you as a kid and an adult, and then you have a kid, whether you wanted to have a kid or you, um, it was a surprise, whatever it may be. If you were a woman and hit all those characteristics as well, you run into this problem of really tanking your self-esteem when you have that kid, because you can't overachieve at the levels that you used to hold yourself to. You hit a burnout and you end up hitting it in all facets of your life. So nothing is being hitting your or filling your overachievement bucket. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh, that's it. Like that's the problem is I am, I feel like I fail at everything because I can't get anything to the level or standard I want it to be at. And I didn't want to sign up to be a caretaker of all the other crap outside of like making, helping this baby live. Cool. I get that part, but like the other stuff that comes with it, the schedules, the maintenance, the home improvements and the, the things like, I don't want to do all that. I didn't, that wasn't what I set out to be. So now it's all bundled together like that. Yeah. And it doesn't get easier. No, no, it doesn't. Being hard. That's why burnout happens perpetually. If you don't make 
active conscious change to yeah you have to truly change all the habits that you you already built like I mean I'm almost 34 like my habits are are pretty strong um so it's like a whole life change of of how you look at things what I found in the article that I read that I thought was most interesting was that it actually starts even before that the societal pressure to decrease a woman's confidence starts before you even have a child. And it starts with the conversations or pressure you hear of you're a certain age, you need to have a child. What is your self-worth if you are not having a child now that you are, you know, at this age and once that begins, that is just the first step in the progression of motherhood, really just crushing your self-confidence. And I never really thought about it that way until I read this article. And then I thought, man, like, that's so true. Because when I was in my 20s, and granted, I'm thankful because you know, 50 years ago in your 20s, you were already be be crushed with the pressure of thinking about motherhood. And I'm thankful I, I was in my 20s and not having to think about it. But in my 20s, I was living my life and thinking about my career and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and all these things. And then you hit 30 and it's like, are you getting married? Are you having a baby? Like, what are you going to do? All these things. And then you start to feel like those little pressure points of decreased confidence because people think you're supposed to be doing all of these extra things and maybe you're not doing them. And it's so upsetting to me because I think about all the women I know, especially the women I know with advanced degrees. And I think I know women with JDs, doctorates, Mm -hmm. All of these advanced degrees, multiple degrees under their belts, and their parents are still saying, well, when are you going to have kids? And it's like, are you kidding me? I am a doctor. Right. And you have the nerve to ask me when I'm going to have a baby? Like, Like, really think about what that would do to someone's psyche. And this is what we do to women. Yeah, that makes me filled with rage. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Let's talk a little bit about what we have done personally to increase our confidence, specifically post, you know, postpartum, becoming a mother. What did we do to kind of pull ourselves out of the hole that I lovingly call postpartum? And then I also have some things that I got online that I have opinions about as well that I will share. <laughs> I have opinions, you know, positive and negative. Um, but what were some of the things that you've done? You know, Kelly, for you in the past almost decade, me and Devin in the past just three, two, three years, what have we done to increase our personal self-confidence specifically to the point of what we felt as like the crushing weight of postpartum motherhood um therapy yeah therapy 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 definitely (laughs) in lots of different forms and for me it's been surrounding myself with people that boost me Um, finding people not just necessarily women definitely women 
but um, people that make me, that recognize my greatness and say it out loud to me um, or reflect it back to me in, in ways that um, you know, I believe that the people you surround yourself with are like the greatest. Um, is it like the five people you surround yourself with that you're like part of them? I don't know what that's saying. Yeah, no, they say that you are, you are most like the the five people that you mm-hmm. are closest to. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, and I really yeah. believe that. I mean, and I also do yoga and that has been like a saving grace. It's my physical therapy. I went back to work. Um, Like I, granted, I went back to work before year three, but I needed something to fill my cup or like remind me of the skills I had pre motherhood to start reminding me of the skills I have during working motherhood and what that is. Like I just needed what was familiar, I think, um, whether that came from, you know, coworkers, um, saying something or a promotion or whatever it was, but I needed to find something that was not solely wrapped up in me and only me or the baby and only the baby. It needed to be once again, cause I am that type A overachiever. It needed to be like a third party work situation or project or task at hand because my house wasn't clean my baby cried all the time. I cried all the time. I needed something else that I could control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of like, like what you're saying and the opposite of what I was just saying is remove the people from your life that are judging and mm-hmm. making you feel shitty, like block them off and put up your boundaries so that you can make decisions and not be influenced by what fucking Pinterest moms are doing or what your neighbor, your neighbor thinks that you should be doing to raise your kids or however you're parenting. Like, yeah, have to have that's back to self-awareness, but yes. And what I'll say about that point is like, you know, we bring up Pinterest moms and your neighbor moms, but oftentimes it's your mom and that's the hardest part. And I, I will say that all the time because my, my mom and I are so close, but we also are obviously like very like divisive on, on our opinions about things. And I think that most women who do have a close relationship with their mothers do find that to be a point of contention when they have kids, because it's like, you love your mother you actually really appreciate her advice and you really appreciate her assistance. But of course there are those times when you're like, I want to figure this out, or I actually think that this is the better idea. And that's difficult too. It's really difficult when you do, I think at least for me, it's more difficult when you do appreciate and need your mother's help and assistance and she is close to you and is part of your family and I and you want her approval exactly like you and want I think the that like, the you're doing so great yeah. you're such a great mom yes and I think like you know for for you Devin and for me our, our both of our moms live nearby and are very much like a present physical presence in our in our family's lives and it is difficult when that's the case because you do have to navigate 
wanting their assistance, wanting their advice, but also wanting to create your own path and wanting to, you know, create a household from what you've learned as a child, but also what you've learned as an adult and researched and read and all of those things. And that can also add to to some self-confidence issues because you want to listen to what your mom has to say, but also be confident enough to make your own decisions. And I know a lot of women struggle with that too. And and I've struggled with that. Yeah. It can be really hard with external pressures. I will say I have like my mom and I through me having a kid and I, there's no way we could do this without her help. But it is, it's so, it's something that you don't even realize you're so appreciative for until you have friends who just don't have a village. And then you go, how in the world are you doing this? This makes no sense to me. I don't understand. Like I can't. And I am watching my mom and I sort of unlearn or become more and more aware of what, because she did it all when I was growing up, but I had so much empathy for her because I saw how exhausted and sad she was or burnt out. And she never acknowledged any of that back then, but she is slowly coming into that now. So she is like a good cheerleader for me in a lot of ways of you don't need to clean that, but her behavior, her actions could actually be contradicting that in some ways. So she's also unlearning all those things of, I think the other day she just told me she's one thing she like wish she would have realized way earlier was you're always going to have to like clean the kitchen. So don't like, um, So it's just one of those things we're sort of going through that parenting different than I was parented together when it comes to managing your own feelings and the negative talk or, or talk about your body is something I am consciously harping on her about because her, every female in my family still to this day will say like, I can't wear that. I'm too fat or, and they'll say it in front of Lucy. And I am determined to break that cycle because it's such a habit. It's, it's a reflex. And I'm like, stop with the negative talk. You're, you're always just putting yourself down two pegs, but it is truly a habit that she has to break. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of that is what I think we deal with individually. If our, our mothers are active presences in our lives, we, you know, we have to also deal with what that means. And, and it's so many things. So the fixes for early postpartum, I believe are very different than the fixes that are where I think all of us are, which are kind of later postpartum. And what I think is funny about the fixes that are early postpartum is that I roll my eyes at all of them. I think I'm like, oh, these are all so stupid. But I also have like 18 month old baby, which means I'm still in the postpartum phase. So maybe I'm the closest related to these things. So if I think they're stupid, then maybe they really are stupid, right? Here's what I'll say about all of these things. <laughs> I'll, I'll read the six and I'll and we'll give our opinion. So the six fixes, if you are an early postpartum, you know, mother, exercise, but only five minutes a day. That's your that's your goal. Five minutes. Appreciate the body you have, which is like very woo-woo, right? 
focus on the features that do give you compliments. So don't worry about like the way your stomach looks or your boobs or your butt or whatever, but like focus on what you do enjoy. Skip the negative talk. Don't compare your body to other people. And then of course, focus on nutrition. All of these things, when I had my first child five years ago, I'd have been like, screw you, get out of my face. You, like, I don't care what you say. I I don't have time to exercise, not even for five minutes. I just want to- None eat of this eat. is helpful. Yeah, like, exactly. Things. Like the only actionable thing was the exercise five minutes a day. Everything else was mental, like in general. Like that's not- helpful. Yeah. So I struggle because I did. And because I've been having children for the past six years, (laughs) I've done extensive research on this. And this list is pretty much what I've seen across the board for the past six years. It's not helpful in any way. No mom friends are therapy mom friends just in the same, um, especially mom friends close that have kids close in age when you first start out like that, that helps. I think those things are important and getting out of whatever bubble. Yes. Get in. Yeah. Don't stay at home. Yeah. Even if you bring the baby, right? right, Like even if you need to bring the kid. Get out of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was the, the having the mom, having the friends who have kids is one of the biggest things because I remember going to the mall probably last year and, you know, I had to like run to Bath and Body Works for something. And there was a woman there with a screaming infant. And it was clear that this was her first time. She was so flustered. She's like leaving all these things. And I realized in that moment watching her that two things happen that make you feel better about that. One is having more kids where you then are like, oh, like, trust me, not that big of a deal. And two, to both of your points, having mom friends where another perspective will say, no, do not flee. Do -hmm. not leave all your purchases on the corner and run away. Like finish your purchase, go through the line. It's okay. Trust me. All of these people at Bath and Body Works are also mothers on a Monday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) They're all okay with you you know, taking you and your crying baby through the line to buy whatever lotion and air fresheners you need. And I think that's what's so difficult about being a first time mom is you, since you are experiencing it for the first time, you forget that no one else on the planet has ever done this. And that like, no one else is like bothered or everyone is looking at you with like, oh, we get it. We've been there. Like no one's judging you. They're just like, we've all been there. We know how it is to have a screaming baby. You're trying to do your shopping at, you know, Meyer or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, seriously, it's been 10 years, ladies. I mean, I, back then my family and extended family and Jason's family are all 500 miles away. So we didn't have any like local support, no village. 
so you, I mean, to those people who are also in a situation like that. And there are a lot of like, yeah, more, more than none. Most people are in that situation. They've moved away. They've met a spouse. And you think like you, it seems very overwhelming, but just trust that you can figure it out and you can do it. You can do a lot more than you think you're capable of. And because of that situation, you realize how powerful you really are and you create really good boundaries without even trying because at least for my family on both sides in laws too, because they weren't around and I figured it out and it was going well, they really backed the fuck off Mm -hmm. because if you can do it without them there, then you don't need them. They may think that they expect you to. Yeah. It really does come down to like who you, who you have around you in those early months and, and how they navigate with you through those, like either no sleep, crying baby thing, like things like that. And I had a COVID baby, right? So like, she wasn't even one when like the world shut down and I will say, go out early and rip the bandaid of the public situation early but also you know if your in-laws family extended family friends put you in a situation that when your baby is having a moment new fresh baby having a moment and they are uncomfortable really start to look around i got so lucky because lucy went through that stranger danger like full screaming phase for like an hour she would just scream and my mother-in-law it didn't phase her like she'd be like I'll hold the baby or and I'd be like I I'll go in the back room I'll take her in the back and she's like that's fine it's a baby like it was this level of like hey babies cry it's okay we're having dinner like don't worry about it that I she would constantly remind me when this was happening that like you're not alone she's not alone you can pass the baby and it'll be okay like don't worry. And that's just nice yeah. to have. So if you have the opposite of that around you, try your best to set else. the boundary. Yeah. How did, how did that make you feel though? Because there are a lot of women out there who, even if their mother-in-law was like, it's okay, they would still self-implode. So. Oh, I definitely still self-implode. It's okay. And yeah. No, it. I didn't. I self-imploded a hundred percent. Yeah. No, no, no. I definitely was like, Okay, but the behavior and the reminder stuck with me. So as I got older and Lucy was getting older, it's not like she stopped crying, right? Like those moments still happen. The reminders were there and it became less and less of a a burden I like would hold. So by the time we had a public tantrum, I didn't care who was watching. That wasn't it. That wasn't what I was worried about. And I don't think that's always the case with people. They're so afraid of everyone else caring. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of which, what do you think at large are the things we can do to change at least, you know, societal pressure of new mothers? Because we all have that feeling of like, we are alone in this and so embarrassed and we have to like hush our child like 
like, why do we have that and how do we combat it? How do we help other new mothers combat that? I mean, it's a, it's a behavior that moms, no matter your age, have to practice because in the moment, in real time, you need other moms coming to the defense or the help. You need to be surrounded by all the moms in Target when your baby's having a full-blown tantrum on the floor going, how can I help? You know, it's okay. Don't worry. Or calling out the people that might be staring or, or making a comment. You know, when I see videos of like people complaining about kids on planes, it's the other people coming to the defense of the child and the mother that eventually diffuse that situation it's becoming an army of support instead of an army of judgment. Cause I get more judgment when Lucy's misbehaving from older women than I do from men. It is older women. And I'm not going to assume they all have kids, but it's probably fair to say a lot have kids and they assume they raise them better and I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. This, this kind of brings us back to where we started this conversation, like where does all of that stem from apologizing, not being an inconvenience. If we're, if our kids are acting up in public, then we're inconveniencing everyone around us. And if it's the old women that are judging us, that's where that behavior stems from too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I talk a lot to my mom about this and about like, she was raised in the 60s very traditional like as you know traditional household as it gets and and she talks a lot about how growing up she was had to be completely silent you know if they if they had if they were entertaining which they did a lot and had people over that they were expected to be in another room completely silent not need anything or make any noise and that you know all children regardless of the age, even babies were supposed to just be these silent beings, not interrupting the adults, you know, event or whatever. And she talked about that. And she talked about how it made her want to raise her children in such a different way, which she did. And I'm thankful for that because I now have that example, not only from my own upbringing, but I can also look to my mom and say like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And I appreciate that. But yes, like we, we see those disapproving looks from older mothers, because that's the environment that they were in. And it's like, yes, we we try to be sympathetic. But we also have to say, you know, what? I'm, I'm trying to do me here. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to raise a healthy, happy child. And I can't be bothered with like you and your disapproving looks. And it's tough, but yes, it's like, we have to do the best we can. Finding mom friends is, we've all said that that's super important, but when you find mom friends that you align with in your thinking, they're the ones you really want to hold on to. And I mean, we call ourselves uh, tongue in cheek, the bad moms club, But a lot of that is because we have similar ideologies on, I mean, how often do we say, fuck these kids? And like, we, we don't qualify the fact that we, I mean, of course we love our kids, but you never hear us say that because we all, we all are on the same page and like, it's fucking hard. And we're going to talk about that. Yes. 
And, and that's yeah, the, the sooner sorry, you can not find sorry. that, the better you're going to be. Yes. And that's the sorry, not sorry part. Yeah. That is the finding your people who you don't have to apologize. That's where we started this whole episode is I don't have to always say I'm sorry. Even the three of us still have to work on that of not apologizing, not apologizing to each other, not apologizing because at the end of the day, my opinion on that is I want the us, <laughs> the three of us to, to just drastically not apologize to each other just as practice. It's not that I'm saying, I don't think you should ever tell me that you were wrong or that we should never be kind and apologize to each other. But I'm saying, I want to give you all the safe space to never have to say that you're sorry to me about anything that we talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's because I know where your heart is. I know who you are as a human being. And I want us to have this open dialogue. And I don't want it to have to be clouded by our own personal self-consciousness that has to say, oh, I shouldn't say this, or I should apologize, or oh, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I just want us to be able to, you know, blurt it all out. And that and that be period end of sentence. So yeah, that's to your mm-hmm. point, Kelly. We if you find those that, people, <laughs> make your bad moms try. <laughs> okay, so last one. This is woman interrupted. I wanted to save this for last because I don't like to begin things with other people having the power. And this particular topic has to do with the fact that not only men, I I don't even like to say men, but people interrupt women more than people interrupt men. So I'm sure we've all had those instances, not just of men interrupting us, but of other women interrupting us. And what I found interesting from this, and I found an article from NPR, was that what's really going on here is power, right? When someone interrupts you, they're trying to see who's at the top of the pyramid and who's at the bottom. They're trying to test you to see where you're going to fall if they can interrupt you and get away with it, if they can steal your idea and get away with it. And especially in the workplace, all of this, you know, a lot of this has to do with what we experience in the workplace. And in all of these areas, women struggle, but LGBTQ workers and women of color also, you know, greatly report feeling not being heard, being interrupted. So we know that that happens. There are Plenty of studies out there that say that Black women's statements are forgotten or misremembered significantly more than those statements of white women. So we know that women across the board deal with this. And we want to talk just for a couple minutes about how we maybe have experienced those feelings of being interrupted in the workplace and what we have done to combat it to increase our power and our voice and what maybe you guys can employ also to employ your voice to not 
feel so diminished because that's honestly what it is. Like I said, it's about power to not feel so diminished when having workplace conversations or professional conversations and, and feeling interrupted or walked over. I'd love to hear from you any instances you both had early on in your careers where you might have felt that people were interrupting you or overstepping you or taking your ideas without saying, and when you realized it was something you needed to combat. This topic fills me with rage. I know it does. We're only going to spend like five minutes on this. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to a minimum. (laughs) I hate it. I it's so prevalent. Like it's still such a thing. Now I have always, um, wore my feelings on my face even early on. Right. So when it was happening and I didn't know what to do in the moment, you read it on my face. So like, I might not have said anything or challenged anything back, but I either got real quiet and you knew I was mad or I was irritated or I completely shut down and disengaged out of like, well, I didn't want to ruffle feathers at that point. Now is different. I will handle it different either in the moment with some witty comments or or statements, or I let them sort of talk themselves off of a ledge, which they always do. Because that's their goal. Whoever's interrupting you wants to be the last word, right? And they end up saying something. They keep going. Yep. Because uh, they're afraid someone's going to interrupt them. Yep. So they just re- keep going. I relate to that. That's been my tactic. And I learned that pretty early on. Like if you either wait to voice your opinion until you have something really poignant to say and choose to place your statements carefully. And or if you do get interrupted almost like physically, you can like have a visceral response of like, like, okay, like go ahead, you know, let that body language do its thing. And if they will, like you said, Devin, they will talk themselves off a ledge and spin in circles. And then when they get to that point, then you subtly interrupt them back and take back that power and say like, well, like I was saying, or, Mm -hmm. you know, like have that, like, obvious like okay redirect from everything they were saying back to where I was come back here and then we're going to continue the conversation that way one of the best phrases to use when somebody um like you say an idea or put something on the table and somebody basically repackages it either right away or within the same meeting is coming back and saying you know, thank you for repeating what I said and adding uh, or adding some more clarity to it. I appreciate that or something along those lines to just remind the group like, oh, the original thought was over here. And, you know, nobody wanted to ask for clarification, right? He could have, or she could have just said, hey, can you add more clarification? I don't understand what you're saying, but instead they repackage. But I do find it, um, I I know women to this day, tenured in their career, incredibly smart that will have that happen to them and they shut down and they're like, how could nobody have said it? Do they'll go like, well, did nobody think I said that first? And they're looking not only to everyone else to not do that, but then to everyone else to fix it. And I'm like, you have to do something. So you either have to change the way you show up in, in an energy, you can be quiet, but you show up different. You stop fixing all the problems for people. You just 
become protective over your work instead of oversharing or trying to be more collaborative, you become more strategic about that. Um, or you find a way to muster up some courage in real time because that's the only person that can fix it. Yes. Well, and, and that leads me to kind of what I found really interesting about the proposed fixes for if you notice that you are constantly being interrupted or your ideas being, you know, taken over were, there were three of them. So one was to call it out. And what I found really interesting about this was that the options were obviously call it out directly, but then there was the option of calling it out softly. And this is where the softening comes in. And I know the three of us do not <laughs> agree with softening in, in any circumstance. And I read this particular article. We'll, it was from NPR. We'll put it in the show notes. And they proposed softening as we know that it's terrible, but I'm thinking, mm-hmm. really? Like, really? Did they, did they like, provide statements of like how to soften? Like, what was their strategy? No, the statements of softening. It was, it was what you would expect. It was, oh, thank you so much for suggesting that as I proposed, blah, blah, blah. Or like, oh, like it, um, it was literally the worst possible things that you would imagine someone to suggest for if you had just been interrupted or your idea had been stolen of how to very softly. Yeah, I will say, I think reframing it to um, in the group setting, like, oh, hey, it seems like you need more clarification on my original thought. You know, does anybody want me to walk through this again? Or, you know, trying and reminding yourself that that's not a rude thing to say. You're helping close the, the gaps because take it as, well, they probably just didn't understand. They need more help. So let me be the one that helps them versus like, well, I don't want to call them out and make it weird. No, they would make it weird. Not you. It's your, well, I thought you needed more assistance. So here I am offering that to you. Yeah. And, and honestly, the next two don't, don't make me any more excited, but I will still share them. So the next one is play the long game. And when I read through the description of this, it was basically like, say nothing, wait it out and bide your time. And yes, yes. In many instances, there are times where you should just like, especially in the workplace, do nothing, wait it out. You, you both made great points about some people will back themselves into a corner anyway. So yes, we're all smart we can recognize when people might do that and we can kind of give them their time to just back themselves into a corner and, and we'll do what we want anyway. Yeah. But um, you can't so like yeah. play the long game and that you're waiting for somebody else to do the work for yeah, you. And, like, but call yes, that person it out. Absolutely like, still be still alert the power. to know and, like when you're the, when it, mm-hmm. when your moment has come to be the yeah. one to call them out loudly. And <laughs> people need to believe people for who they are. So if there is somebody that is constantly needing to have the last word in a group meeting, right? They need to be the showboat, the one that's like always interrupting, although believe them 
that that is who they are. They are not going to come to you and give you credit for that idea. They're not going to put your name on the project. They're not going to do that because that's not who they are. So act and change accordingly and navigate the job accordingly. So if you notice a team, this is like advice I give people on my team and I like across the board on different disciplines where I'm like, no, no, no. If we share content we create, it's in our brand, it's packaged and it is sent in a PDF. If they want an editable version, they have to ask for it. And we need to be specific as to why. Because we saw so many times we would share something and all of a sudden it would pop up in another team's deck fully branded with no credit. And I have no issue with you using my content if you give the team that built it the credit. I don't even have to be in the room. It's a copyright situation, a plagiarism situation. And I'm like, give credit. So I think people need to understand in the workplace, Don't you don't have to call it out. If that's not your vibe, you don't want to do it, fine. But don't assume it was with good intent that they did it. Take it as straight fact and not emotional. This is who they are. Right. This is how and they I mean, choose to navigate. Really, is it with good intent? Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think call it out is is probably my number one on the list of of things to do, especially you know when it comes to a working environment. And then the last one is amplify, and I really like this one. Because this is where, as women, we can support each other. What Amplify means, if you guys don't know, is if you are in the workplace and you experience a woman being diminished or a woman saying something and then someone else saying the exact same thing as their own, you say, hey, Rebecca just said that. I think it's a really good idea. You can do it in a way that doesn't seem so combative, but that mm-hmm. seems like you're right. I'm with you. And she said it. And this is great. Like cheer her on. And and there are so many different ways to amplify other women's voices in the workplace. And I think if we can all do that a little bit more, we'll all get the opportunity to kind of see that our voices can be heard. And if you do it to someone else, someone's more likely to do it back to you. And that's really what we all want to see happen. Yeah, definitely doing that for other women when you see those things happen. I have been in the past year or so in a situation where I've noticed men also being squashed And I think it's being like the facilitator of a room and like the leader in the Mm -hmm. room, especially if like you're the leader of other people in the room and saying, it sounds like so-and-so is, you know, trying to bring up a really good point over here, like redirect the room's attention to the person who is attempting to say something or, you know, we live on zoom too. If you see somebody like unmute, but then, and they try to speak and then they don't get a word in because there's, you know, loud mouse dominating the space, Mm -hmm. like be the one to amplify that person's voice and be like, Oh, Hey, I saw you on mute. What do you have to say? But like, that's, that's being, that's reading the room. That's really like how you can show up is read the room. And if somebody gives you the opportunity to amplify your voice, take it. Like, don't be like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Like, no, like jump at the chance. Yes. No, I'm sorry here. Take the (laughs) chance. Absolutely. Well, 
you know, this was a lot. <laughs> Woman Interrupted was our topic of the day. And I really appreciate both of you giving your perspectives on this. And every day there are opportunities for all of us, regardless of how confident or not confident we are, to showcase our power, our confidence, whether it's in the workplace or at the grocery store. And I do hope that this conversation today gave just a couple tips or insights to be able to do that more and more because it starts with our own self-confidence and being able to speak up for ourselves. And then it really finishes with amplification, which is where we left it off, which is if you see a woman who is struggling with a baby in the grocery store or struggling to get their idea heard at work, what can you do to step up and be brave and to amplify on their behalf and know that uh, someone will do that for you as well? Yeah. And I would love to hear from others. What else are people out in the world doing? You know, what are our listeners doing or what struggles have they had related to these topics and what are stories that they have to and what they've done to change or whatever. I'm yeah. I'm just curious, like, what can we learn, the three of us, what can we learn from others and how we can uh, go about changing our habits and behaviors? Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. And, you know, keep giving us good stuff to talk about because we're here. <laughs> Give you our opinions. And we, we have so it. many thoughts. <laughs> we have so many thoughts. <laughs> all, right. all right guys see you next time bye thanks for joining us on my vagina hurts loved it please subscribe do you have a cringeworthy vagina story submit your vagina scaries at myvaginahurts.com as always you can email us at hello at myvaginahurts.com and follow us on instagram at mvh the pod and on tiktok at myvaginahurts No short dick me.